Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is an interview special episode aired on March 11th, 2019. Today, I'd like to highlight a few interviews uh, that the team of Tech.eu recorded at TechChill, one of our favorite conferences, which took place in February in Riga, Latvia. It doesn't mean, however, that we only talked to people from the Baltics or only about the local ecosystem. It's actually far from that, and you are going to hear it real soon. I am your host, Andre Degeler, a tech journalist based in Amsterdam. And in this episode, you will hear from the director of La French Tech, from one of the leaders of Riga Tech Goals, and the co-founder and head of performance marketing at Vinted. First up today is Kat Borlongan from La French Tech in conversation with our founding editor, Robin Wouters. Among other things, Kat spoke about what La French Tech actually is, about how much money the French government has doled out for startups, and also what the second biggest startup city in France after Paris is. And you will be surprised when you learn about it, if you're not French, that is, I promise. Uh, let's dive in for this one. So hey, this is uh, Robin Waters for Tech.eu, and I'm here in Riga, Latvia for the Textual Conference, sitting down with Kat Borlongan from La French Tech. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Comment ça va? Très bien. <laughs> so tell us, what is La French Tech, for those who don't know? Oh, so well, the French Czech is uh, is a nickname actually for the French Czech ecosystem and everyone that's in it, from you know biotech to crypto, uh, from like even from Paris to Hong Kong, really all over. We're investors, we're founders, we're community builders, but it's also this other thing. So that's the French Czech is the ecosystem. And then there's this thing that I lead called the French Czech Mission, which is kind of like the government back office of all of that. Um, which really has one very simple goal is to, to leverage everything we've got in government to make sure that we create as many, um, but that we create and uh, grow as many global tech champions that do great stuff for the country and society. What does that mean concretely? What's your day-to-day -day day -day job? Yeah. yeah, so concretely, when you say like leverage government, what do you got? Um, first thing we've got is policy. So we can do some pretty neat things like uh, we're putting in place, for example, the new French tech visa uh, scheme, which, you know, everyone talks a lot about their visas and, you know, startup visas. But I think this one is going to be pretty unique. Um, it's pretty unique in the sense that um, usually the logic of a visa is that you look at the person who's being hired, look at the employees, do they have the right diplomas, you know, that kind of thing. We're only looking at the startups. So basically, if you are considered a startup, if French Tech Mission considers you a startup, you'll be able to hire whoever you want for years for them and their families. No other constraints other nice. than the usual national um, security stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so there's there's some pretty neat things like, like like that that we can do. We do quite a bit of public policy, both in terms of um, pushing forward the right issues in terms of regulation and in terms of uh, policy, but also for public services. So we try to make sure that, you know, um, French public services, whether you are the French Data Protection Authority or Customs, um, that there's this really this friendly zone where you can really interact with startups and make sure that you guys are in sync and on the same page about things that you're you're doing together. Um, whether that's procurement, uh, those are partnerships, or th those are just like services understanding how startups function in 2019. Um, we have quite a bit of funding as well. 
So that's important. We have a 400 million fund, which is just for early stage deep tech. We've got a hundred million that is just for early stage startups in general so that anybody can really, anyone who's got a solid idea can just sort of quit their job and launch a startup. Um, we've got 200 million for accelerators to make sure that um, accelerators are top notch in France and that they're coming from all over the country as well. And then, um, then we've got our own programs. So the programs are a little different, I think, in the sense that they're all fully designed by the team. Uh, just to give you an example of what a program is. So, um, for example, we believe that tech talent can and should come, come from anywhere. Um, and sometimes there are barriers like that are socioeconomic, right? Like people come, um, come from like underprivileged neighborhoods or refugees and things like that. And so we designed a program that mimics the kind of advantages that you would have if you came from a well-to-do family. So you have one person who is kind of like the equivalent of your rich dad, I suppose, or mom, right. who who takes you through the, the all six weeks to take you to their cocktail parties, to their board meetings and things like that. They really adopt you oh, for that period of six weeks. All We don't do the whole thing that accelerators do. We've got like a long list of mentors. We're like, look, it's a pretty tight-knit ecosystem, right? Like, if I choose someone like, I don't know, Fred Mozilla from Blah Blah Car, he'll be able to pick out your mentors for you and get them involved and be able to update you on that, you know, sure. what, what, what it's needed to know. Um, it also, um, covers 20 to 50,000 of their first, uh, expenses, uh, gives them a spot on an incubator and accelerator. And, um, and then of course, like, you know, brings them together in the spirit of a cohort over a period of six months. So that's cool. an example of one of the other nice. things well, that we do. Well, it seems like you have a lot going on. How yeah. big is your team? Uh, there are 20 of us right now, depending on how you count. So half of us are full time inside the Ministry of Economic uh, Affairs. It seems relatively small for all the. It's actually the it depends. Like it, it depends on how you count is a really good way to look at it because you have so it, it depends on like you know culturally the team is 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 unique I think in the way that it's structured. There are um, roughly 10 people that are actually in the heart of the team full time. Um, we're all in the same administrative entity, so to speak. There are another 10 or so people after that that are from other administrations, other ministries that each have their own um, area of specialization. So, uh, for example, our head of international affairs is not from the same administration as us. He's from Treasury, actually. And why is he from Treasury? Other than that, because he's awesome um, and really wanted to work with him. It's also because he has access to the entire network of all of the economic attaches all over the world, right. which is something that no one from inside, you know, the traditional team would be able to have. And then again, it depends on how you count because we also have, um, you know, over 50 French tech communities around the world, like volunteer organizations of people who kind of come together and uh, and help out and that are aligned with the strategy and believe that we're in what we're trying to do. It's amazing. It's more like movement than an organization. <laughs> well, there's a bit of that for <laughs> sure. All right. Um, so if you look at France from the outside, yeah. from our perspective, as TechU, for example, or the data that, we, that we've collected over the last five, six years, France and especially Paris has really, really boomed in the mm -hmm. last few years. You look at the numbers of funding, acquisitions, it's going quite well, <laughs> you would think, right? Um, but how does it feel from the inside? Like, what's the, what's the next step? Like, can you, do you feel like you're competing on a global level? Do you feel like you're competing against the UK? Do you want to beat them? <laughs> we <laughs> certainly are now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so how do you look at that from the inside? This is what I wonder. Yeah. Well, from the inside, we can see it as well, right? We can see it physically even. We can see it in the languages that are being spoken in the corridors as we, you know, walk down station F. Uh, we see it in the caliber of, uh, of speakers that are coming in for even like small cozy meetups. Um, you know, we see it in the way that people are thinking about 
growth and 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 the sort of rise of, of 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 an entire class of VPs and executives, you know, that weren't around like three to four years ago. We're definitely feeling that. Um, and I think the next really big challenge for us as the French tech ecosystem is, you know, how do we? And I think this is the the next big jump, right? How does the French and French tech stop meaning nationality? And start really meaning something else, you know, something, some, some, something really bigger, like something that, that, that corresponds to, you know, kind of relationship or something that you, you believe in, um, that's related to France and e even if it's not permanent. Wow. It's fascinating. Um, you gave a talk here in uh, Riga or you, you're going to give a talk. Um, what, what's it about? Oh, it was on, uh, it was on how countries and cities. Uh, can help startups compete in the global battle for talent. That is, I think, the most uh, asked question in Europe right now, because it used to be more about like different things, capital, whatnot. Now talent, I think, yeah, is a big one. Yeah, it is the um, issue. And as a small country, because we're in Latvia now, that's also what they talk about. Like, how can we as a small yeah. country in the north where it's cold, <laughs> how, do, how do we, like, we, they, they're not like a sexy country to move to. So how can they compete against a France or a Spain or a Germany I, I wonder that. Like, I don't think they can, if I'm really honest. Uh, but what's your answer to that? I mean, you know, so one thing that I believe in is segmentation. You're not going to compete. Like the people who are going to want to go to Latvia, like the people who are going to want to go to France, the people who are going to want to go to whatever, move in Silicon Valley, they're not the same people. Like fundamentally, like each, like what, I think what we, what we tend to imagine is, you know, we think that um, a talent is a B2B thing. Like people will move for the right companies for the right salaries at the right time. But really for me, talent is a B2C play. You know, when you're hiring someone for a job and you're, you know, in a different country, you're, you're not just hiring them. They're not just coming for what they do, you know, 97 or 99 or whatever. They're, they're coming for what they do on the weekends, what their kids are doing, you know, what their families are doing. And, and so I think, you know, if you, if you want to really be effective as I would say like a country slash recruiter, you need to sort of play to your strengths. Right. So a bit of a different question, but um, what is happening in France outside of Paris? Like where, where is the, what's the, the, the second or the third biggest hub there? Like where do you see most of the activity? Um, so the actually mm -hmm. most people might not guess this, but it's Montpellier. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. oh, I would not expect yeah, that at all. It is Montpellier, actually. So, so we, I mean, there's a hundred thousand ways to calculate this, right? What I'm, the numbers that I'm looking at are the number of what we call past French tech. So the French tech mission, um, keeps tabs on companies that are growing at least 50% year in year and or have raised over 20 million. And after Paris, the second city, um, where you have a quite a strong concentration is actually oh, Montpellier. Why, why, why is that? Is that the, the certain industry or vertical that they're really strong in or? My theory on it, is that sometimes it just takes one startup. It takes one that really succeeded, right. that exited, and where the founders gave back. Right. And they decided like they would, effect, yeah, of. exactly. We would, you know, that we're going to stay, we're going to help the ecosystem grow. We are going to, you know, re-inject talent back into the ecosystem. We're going to re-inject capital back into the ecosystem. Um, and, and I think that's what happened to, to Montpellier. Fantastic. Um, you joined about seven months ago, I think, La French Tech. How's it been? Like the first half year is always tough. <laughs> I think it has been a pretty crazy adventure. I mean, as someone who, I mean, it's, I mean, intellectually, probably the most fascinating thing I've ever done. You, you, we always talk about government. Do you feel like you're beyond the learning phase now and now you can get started? Or? Oh, no. Oh, for that, well, we, you know, we sort of hit the ground, ground running as right. quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like there are a lot of uh, hot topics that needed to be addressed, like, uh, right away. No, I mean, I'm definitely in a phase of culture shock, you know, when you come into government, but, 
I think I'm pretty comfortable with the fact that I'm never going to get over the culture shock. And I hope I, I, ho- I hope I don't actually, yeah. I hope that it would always feel, um, com- kind of different and kind of foreign and, you know, but, um, um, there've been some really great surprises. One is the, sh- the, the amount of talent you have in French government. Um, really? yeah, yeah. yeah. I can tell you about the first few people I hired on my team. Uh, Mathieu is, uh, Polytechnique, a PhD in bioscience from Harvard, worked in three years handling innovation, um, management, things like that. Now handles uh, you would not um, all of our policy work. No, you wouldn't, right? A lot of uh, handles uh, all of our policy uh, work and as well as all of our deep tech. Philippe, who handle, who has the lead on all of our um, investment related things. He sits on all of our boards and um, works with VCs. You know, he's like ex-Goldman and Sox, uh, top schools as well. So, so France, you know, and, and it's related to the country's sort of heritage and culture and things like that, still, still has pretty decent employer branding and is right. still kind of able to attract uh, some really, really bright um, and, and very committed and public service minded uh, people. Very interesting. Final question. If you had no limitations on budget, time, resources, what's the one thing you would change in France? The one thing I would change in France, the stock options regime. Oh, wow. Probably. That's a very specific answer. Yeah. But I hear that quite a lot in Europe, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, cause I, it's, it's the one thing that we can see even quantitatively, like what impact that has on bringing people in. So BSPCE, which is the stock options regime that we have in France, I mean, loosely defined as such, is, is actually pretty competitive. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's rated very well, even say like by index ventures when they're comparing right. um, yeah. lots of different ones across the world. Um, the thing that's challenging is at a European level, um, when you have other companies that are you know, uh, in Europe and they're setting up in France or other foreign companies that are setting up in France. And, and for me, I think when you say if I had no restraints, you know, which one would I pick? I'd say I'd pick this one because this one doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on just me. It doesn't right. even depend on just France. And it's something where you're going to, you know, it takes quite a bit of work at a European level to, to get, to make that happen. Wow. That's a very good answer. Thank <laughs> you so much for your time and best of luck with the French tech. Thank you. Brilliant interview. Thanks a lot, uh, Robin and Kat. I feel a huge fear of missing out, I have to say, as I still have not been to uh, Station F ever, and I do hope to uh, get there this year. Now, the next conversation I wanted to highlight today is with Anna Andersone of uh, Riga Tech Girls, uh, recorded by our research lead, Natalie Novik, who is also uh, the usual co-host of this podcast. One bit that I found really interesting uh, in this one is uh, why Riga Tech Girls open its meetups for male attendants, but at the same time only accept women participants for their workshops. Let's check this one out. Hi, so I'm here with Anna Andersone of Riga Tech Girls. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so I want to talk to you a little bit about how Riga Tech Girls got started and the early days of the initiative. All right. So we officially founded uh, Riga Tech Girls uh, three years ago. All started actually a little bit earlier. I was um, co-founder of a startup. With our startup Frunt, we were in Tech Hub Riga, which was the first co-working space here in Latvia. There, in among all the founders, there were only two women founders. So it was me and it was Alisa from Infogram. A couple of years later, uh, we saw that there's this movement around the world that um, women in tech is an issue and we need to get more women involved. And uh, we both saw that technology is an amazing opportunity. So women can achieve more, have greater impact if they can use technology to do that. But at the same time, 
in Latvia, of course, there are a bit more founders, female founders, but still the dominance of uh, male founders in startups and also kind of the male dominance in IT sector in general is pretty big. Uh, so we decided to start Riga Tech Girls. The first uh, thing that we did were uh, coding workshops. The very first one, which was unofficial, was actually for kids, the Hour of Code workshop. But then uh, we had coding workshops. And a bit later, we also introduced meetups where we inspire women. Um, so yeah, that's how it all started. <laughs> Great. And something I really appreciate, I went to one of your meetups last summer and it was just such a great inspirational space, bringing together lots of wonderful speakers from the community to share their experience. Can you talk a little bit about the programming for Riga Tech Girls and some of the different initiatives you offer? All right. We basically work in three main directions. So uh, one of them is creating meetups, which are inspirational evening events. Usually those are evening events where we get um, women from the tech field who already have achieved something, who are doing great things. They might be developers, they might be tech startup founders, they might be leaders, they might be agile team leaders or so all different kind of fields that you can do in tech. By showing these role models, these examples, we try to show the women that anyone of us can do that. You don't need to be something very special to actually achieve things in tech, uh, that actually women love doing these things and it's interesting for them, it's fulfilling and, uh, and there's an impact. So these are the things that we try to do with the meetups. And also an important part is, is networking. So um, women come there and they can meet other women, see how they can get connected, how, how they can start actually their journey in the tech field. Uh, the, the second kind of direction that we're working with are these free workshops. To the meetups, we actually are quite open uh, also for guys to come because we see that we can't do it alone. We need to do it together. We need to support each other. So we need the guys in the community also to support the women. And that's why the meetups are open. But in the workshops, uh, we only accept female students because what we noticed is that when there are uh, women and men in the workshops, the women tend to somehow unconsciously be a little bit intimidated and they don't ask as many questions and they're not as open. They might be afraid to ask a question that might sound stupid, but actually this is what the workshops are about. They're about finding new things and learning. So we try to create this safe environment where women can feel very free, write their first line of code, try testing, try agile, try uh, making their first mobile app. I'm also myself, since I'm not a coder, I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, so I lead workshops on how to start your own startup. And so all these kind of different tech um, skills is what we try to bring out to the girls and women here. And the third direction that we're working with is uh, working with media. So uh, we we talk to journalists, we talk to media, we talk to we talk in conferences, and we try to get these role models out there so that they are seen, they're visible. With this, we are trying to change the stereotype that is in the mind of largest part of the society that technology is not for women and girls, and um, this is actually the biggest obstacle that we have because we have quite a lot of demand for the meetups and the workshops, uh, but um, the, the mindset of the society is, is, is harder thing to change. 
And can you tell us a little bit, is there any specific outcome that stands out, uh, an example that you've really noticed where you've made a, a, a big impact with this program? All right. So we have a couple of wonderful examples. Uh, one of the best examples, which I love the most, is um, Marina Petrakova. She's one of our core team members right now at Riga Tech Girls. By education and what she does in her everyday life, she's a speech therapist. So she works as a doctor in a real hospital. And uh, she came to our meetups a couple of years ago. Then she went through some of our workshops. And now what she's doing, she's building a virtual reality app that helps kids with autism. This is the impact we want to do. We want to help women who have this social interest and uh, and who want to make the world a better place. We want to give them the access to technology so they can do it on a bigger scale. So this is one of the amazing examples. But we have more. There is a founder who started a SaaS company that is doing employee satisfaction surveys for big companies. She went through also through our startup workshop cycle. And now she got after the cycle, immediately she got investment from the investors that we invited uh, to the um, workshops. And now the company is real and, and um, it's growing. We have another example where there was a woman who was a lawyer. And uh, now she's leading her own virtual reality room in, in Riga and building a virtual reality community. Also, what we see is that there are much more women joining new communities. So this virtual and augmented reality community just formed last year, but half of the core community is female and they have gone through Riga Tech Girls. So this is where we see the impact. Uh, another thing in numbers, what we see is that three years ago, there were approximately 20% um, students in ICT programs in university, and now it's uh, 26%. So there is growth there as well. So we see development and, and movement here. And uh, these examples is what we, we want to bring to the society and show them. And, and that's really incredible that you can imagine these things wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Riga Tech Girls and that it just took two people with an idea and the initiative to make it happen. It actually took more. Me and Alice, we were the first kind of conceptualizing about this, but there was a group of people, so at least six of us who actually were in the core of starting this whole thing. And um, the co-founders of the NGO were one whom I really want to mention is Alina. So she is currently, she moved to Lithuania, but she's a coder and she was the first to start the coding workshops. And Elina, who actually lives in Berlin, but she traveled back here to do the first workshops. And uh, and Laurel, who is an American uh, citizen, now she lives back in America, but she's the one who started the kids' workshops. So it was uh, a bigger group of people who came together and made this happen. But it really takes just, you know, up to five strong people women who can start these kind of things. And and that's incredible. And you're an entrepreneur yourself and you're also decided to give back to the community in this way, which is really remarkable. What would you advice would you give to others in their community that really see a need for initiative to start, but are just kind of not ready to take that leap yet? What kind of advice would you want to share with them? 
first of all, to just get started, it's really good to have someone like-minded next to you. So find at least one person with whom you can kind of ping pong the ideas and start everything off. Uh, as in every business, uh, also in creating a movement or social movement, two is much better than one. So that would be like a practical part. But then from the um, motivation side, so the energy, the positivity, what you get back from doing this is so much bigger than you can imagine before you've started doing something like that. And the people who, whom you meet, the possibilities of networking by doing something social is just amazing. So I never thought this would be, um, so fulfilling and, and, and so rewarding as it is. I, I would definitely encourage everyone if they see a need for some social change, some social movement, just start. And you can start by really small things. When people see what you're doing, they will join. And so now our organization as well, it's grown to 10 uh, team members who are in the core team. Um, and our next step is getting stable funding to actually hire people to do this. In these three years, we've shown that a lot can be achieved with volunteering as well. So yeah, um, just starting off and, and feeling the first energy flow in will, will fuel you to, to grow. Right. So just be brave and make that first step because what you'll get back is so much more than you can imagine. Yeah, exactly. So is there anything in the future that we should be looking on the lookout for with Riga Tech Girls? Hmm. Well, we'll be growing. We'll be growing. We'll need more people joining our team, more events. One of the things we want to do uh, next is build this database of women. And that's where talking with uh, Stuart Rogers from, who's writing also for VentureBeat. So he has a similar idea in his, in the back of his head. So uh, this is the next thing we want to build. So look out for the, for the women in tech database where you can find real amazing role models. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. <laughs> This is a very interesting perspective. Thank you to Anna and Natalie for recording with this one for us. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. Now, our third interview today and the last one actually is again by Robin Wouters. He talked to Milda Mitkute, co-founder and head of performance marketing at Vinted, one of Lithuania's largest success stories. The startup has already raised more than $100 million in funding and attracted a community of more than 30 million users. And this is our chance to learn more about it. Let's hear it. Hey, this is Robin Walters for Tech.eu, and I'm here in Riga, Latvia for the TechChill conference, uh, sitting now with Milda, who's one of the co-founders of uh, Vinted. Tell us more about Vinted. Hello. Okay, so Vinted actually is a um, like second-hand marketplace to sell, buy, or swap clothing with each other, like between each other. And it's international platform. We have nine, or I should say, 10 and maybe 11, because we do some experiments in almost in 11 countries, mostly in Europe and in the US. How long have you been around? Uh, last year, it was 10 years. So it's now it's 11th year. But of course, it's like the first few years were kind of, we called it as a hobby project. So it wasn't a business. We didn't have even status, like no like business company. Wow. It was just like no evening uh, activity that we used to do. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, like, how did the, this idea come about? Personal needs. Personal need? <laughs> Personal need, yeah. It's always the best was, way to start a company. Yeah, I was say. totally obsessed about clothing. And I was I was 21 when Vinted was founded. And before that, I used to, I got this first, like, you no know, job. And I used to get, like, first salary. And, you know, then you were, like, 
almost independent and you can spend on whatever you want. And so, of course, it was clothing. For me, like I used to spend 80% of my salary in clothing. And I usually, I used to spend like in five first days after I get salary. So in a, in a couple of years, then I had to move from my native town to the capital, to Vilnius to study i just figure out that okay i have so much so many items that i and i counted about like 100 items still with labels like i never worn them like or worn maybe twice maybe three times and that's it so then i was like oh i need to do something about this because i still want more items but i just my closet is very like limited i don't have that space especially in a rented apartment because before then you live at my mo- at my mother's apartment sure. so it's easy because space. it's three times small and bigger i don't pay for that right and then you are in rented apartment so it's like you no know, much smaller closet and yeah so the idea was born like okay it would be amazing to have such platform where you know girls like me can upload uh, items that they have so and you know i can browse in all so you're scratching your own, your own itch in a way, but does that mean that you went looking for this type of marketplace and you couldn't find it? Actually, I haven't done that. It's, right. That's that's the funny thing. Like, I haven't checked like about competitors at the time. Like, no, it was I want that platform for myself. Like, right. it was selfish, <laughs> childish wish, and it was actually by random. Next week, I just w- was invited to the party and met there my colleague, my other co-founder, Eustace, and actually he was a developer. At 2 a.m., I, I told him about the idea that I would like to have such, I have such, such an, an idea, and he said, let's do it. So, you know, it was more about, like, taking the possibility to to do some great idea, but it's like, no, we didn't have any, any goal, like, to have business. It was just a hobby idea. So when you set up the platform, did it, grow organically very fast oh, or yes. did it take time for no it was okay then we see organically and it was exponential growth for sure like no but you know from it's day very, one but you know it's very easy like from 100 members it's very easy to grow to 1000 members or from 1000 it's very easy to grow to i don't know 5000 and you can see oh five times growth like uh, x but it's, it's still it was every time very exponential growth and it was again like kind of success factor with that it happened so then we launched the platform. So I said, okay, I'm going to write email to my friends. I just remind you that it, it was 10 years ago. So emails were still, okay, it was popular, but not that, not that much noise as, it, as, as sure. we have now. So I wrote email to my friends and it's like, oh, we have perfect idea, but we don't have any money, but we, I need to promote this idea. Just can you share with your friends about this idea? It was Lithuanian email. So in two hours, I got so many calls from radio stations, from TV, like, you know, I was like, oh, we have a very nice idea. Let's talk. I was like, wow, seriously, it was that easy. It's very cool. So you were not (laughs) the only one with that problem, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, no, so I remember like a few days later, we were, Eustace and me were sitting on like next to our computers and refreshing, like, no, oh, like 100 (laughs) items, 150 items. And it was like, wow, it's, it's growing. Sometimes. So what do the numbers look like now, 10 years later? So now we have 30 million members. We are in, as I said, nine plus two, three experimental markets. So it's, I still don't want to say that it's like we're confirmed. Uh, Actually, I've been seeing a lot of advertising for Vintedon in Belgium now. That's yeah, I'm so here. Belgium is the experience. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so Belgium is. I that. wanted to say that. <laughs> Thanks for confirming. Yes, so Belgium is that like plus. Uh, Got it. <laughs> We're the experiment. Yeah, uh. and we are actually doing pretty well there. So I think that will be soon. Will be. Uh, I will call this as our market as well. Really cool, um, but is it in essence still the same product and platform that you started out with ten years ago? Uh, oh, uh, no, no, no! Totally new design. Like the idea is the same. 
I did the same. Right. Yeah, but you know, like then Eustace and me were like vol- like volunteers, and we didn't have any experience. If I showed you how our design looked like, made by him and me, <laughs> so it's like you no, know, I stock grass, like echo sign. So it was terrible, like you know. And we laugh even right now, like then we check. Well, you know what they say: if you're not embarrassed about the first iteration of your product, you launch too late. <laughs> I really like that quote because it's really true, especially in startup world. Exactly. Uh, so we just started, like you know, with the iteration. So we didn't know at that time any theory about you no know, uh, ship fast uh, step by step and or like you no know, were you in any way familiar with this whole startup and vc world when you started the company no oh, no, no no so no, you, no. you you had to learn that on your I own i was 21 then so it's like you no know, <laughs> i didn't know anything about this i didn't know anything about business like right. well, what is the actual business model of Vinted? do you take commissions on Transactions? No. Okay. We tried and we almost got bankrupt. Really? <laughs> so we said yeah. it's, it, it doesn't work for us. Our business model, we live from advertising. So basically from banner, bannering ads and also from, for additional service. Like, I mean, the basic service is free of charge. You can upload for free. You can sell for free. We don't take any money. But if you want like no safety insurance or something, so then of course you can pay some commission. Or if you want that your items would be uh, like in top for among others for I don't know, two, three days. So then you pay extra. And then, it's, then this is how our money. Got it. So freemium combined with advertising. And who would, who are your typical clients? I mean, not the users, but who advertises on? We still work with agencies. So it's like agencies that control and in, in, in different markets, there is a different agency. Got it. Okay. Nice. Um, so are you happy with the growth numbers right now or do you feel like you need to be mark markets or do you want to rather expand the product and build more features or is the focus on expansion? Now we feel that we have product ready to scale and we have business model ready to scale. I wouldn't say that two years ago because we said, okay, are we going to survive or not? Because we didn't have business model. And yeah, as I mentioned in my, in the scene that, okay, we had six or seven months to survive and said, okay, we don't know what, what will happen next. If we don't find our business model, then we have an issue. <laughs> but since then, you've re- raised quite a bit of capital. Can you, can you say yeah, how much it's you raised? It's more than 100 million. More than 100 million. And who are your investors? Uh, different ones. So, um, Axel Partners, one of the first. So it was like the ones who invested into Facebook, Angry Birds, uh, those one. Then Inside Ventures. So they are from New York, from the US. And also, uh, Burda. I'm not sure. Media if, company. Yeah. German media, it's yeah. German. So it's, it was like the first so Europe focused company in, in our portfolio. And then there is like another new one. So they're like, no, last year. So they, they're the same as Revolut um, investors. So they joined like last year. Great. So you spent quite a few years, um, you know, figuring out this business model. Um, you're finally there, but raising like more than a hundred million also puts uh, sort of a different pressure on pressure? the company to perform. Oh, yes. right? so, so we were that pressure like three, four years ago about finding our, I wouldn't say it was a pressure from investors. It was pressure from ourselves. Like, you know, you know, you have like so much money. Yeah. And but it's an additional responsibility. Sort of. Yeah. And you know that, okay, you cannot live always from other, like from other pockets. You sure. need like, you know, in general definition of business, you are sustainable. You you live like from what you, what you create. So then, it, then we reached break even two years ago it was for us you know it was more than success it was i don't know relief it was it was a huge celebration (laughs) it was like right now and you asked like are we growing are we happy so now we are super happy and we are growing like the fastest growth that we ever had very nice so so can you can you say how how big is your team now 
300, but yeah. 200 full-time employees and then the 100 freelancers. Got it. And are most of them based in Lithuania still? Most. And so we have the main headquarters in Vilnius. It's basically product team, support team as well, and management, and also Berlin office. But Berlin office was, it's still, it's, it's much smaller, but it's very important for us because uh, because of marketing expertise, because like, well, what we faced, like about being small country, uh, so like, even though I say that, oh, it's a very high quality in Vilnius, if you want, just come and live and it's very nice. I'm, I'm really love Vilnius. But for, if you want to invite people from London, from New York, from, yeah, it gets from, yeah so it was like, you no. Know, to move to Vilnius? Yeah. Oh, maybe no. So, and this is how we found it. We decided to open Berlin office. Right. Uh, it seems to me, um, from my perspective at least, if we talk about the Baltic startup ecosystems, Lithuania is usually the third one that gets mentioned. It's usually yeah, Estonia yeah. that takes yes. most of the attention. Uh, Latvia, no, no, different degree, but yeah. Lithuania still seems to be a little bit behind. Would you agree? Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say because. At least two years ago, one year ago, Vinted was the most valuable startup in Baltics. So it's like, you know, it's... But yeah, you're more of an exception than the Exactly. Room, so yeah. this is like, you know, the question. But, uh, and before it was the attitude to, into startups, like, you no, know, oh, those people who want to invent things that I know that uh, the bike is already invented. So it was like that maybe perception from the society. But then we, time to time, we see that, okay, we have more and more successful cases. And I see that uh, the attitude is changing. And uh, even in the government level, so there is like more and more like no activity about how can we like promote and help them. Do you, do you play an active role, you yourself as a person, but also Vinted as a company in developing this startup ecosystem in Lithuania? I don't know. Like I'm trying not, not to do this because it's, it's not my passion. And right. I learned if it's not your passion, don't do this. Right. So I get many invitations, but maybe it's very rude, but I usually just say that, uh, no, I will, I will not take part. Great. So final question. What's the next step for Vinted? What's uh, this year going to bring? Europe. <laughs> You're going to conquer Europe? That's a good ambition. <laughs> uh, well, Milda, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think you, you have a very interesting company, of course. Uh, we'll be following with lots of interest. Uh, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Hey, hey, hey. So this is it for our today's uh, podcast. I do hope you enjoyed this special format again. Please let me know what you think. Tweet at me or send an email to andri.tech.eu. Subscribe today on your podcast app of choice and tell a friend or two about this show. For more tech stories, follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU and on Facebook. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and will mean the world for us. If you have any comments or feedback, I'm always happy to talk on Twitter, on email or in person. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I will talk to you in a couple of days in the next usual episode of our podcast. Take care.